Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. And welcome everybody to another exciting edition. You guys, I'm so excited. I can barely keep in my excitement. You guys, oh my gosh, I cannot wait. Uh, Okay, let me finish my intro. Welcome to another exciting edition of Animals to the Max. I am your overexcited host, Corbin Maxey. Thank you so much, as always, for taking the time to listen to the show. Folks, today we are going to talk about my favorite animal in the world. We are going to talk about hippos. You guys, I don't know why I like hippos so much. They are my favorite animal. I think hippos and hyenas are my favorite animals. And also, well, I like crocodilians too. I like leopards and the big tortoises and the big pythons and the mon. Okay, you guys, I, I, I love all animals, but for some reason, I've always had a fascination with hippos. Every time I go to like a larger zoo, I am always like so excited to go check out their hippo habitats. They are They've always fascinated me, and I've been wanting to do a show about hippos for quite some time, but here's the problem. There aren't a lot of hippo enthusiasts out in the world. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people who are excited about hippos, but there's not a lot of people currently studying hippos, and I'll tell you a story. A few years ago, I found out about the invasive hippos in South America. That's right. There are hippos in South America. And I found out about these hippos and I thought, oh my goodness, I have to have someone come on the show to talk about these invasive hippos. Because as you guys know, or maybe you don't, hippos are strictly found in Africa, but they can now be found in South America. And on the show, I have the perfect expert to talk about it. On the show, we have Dr. Jonathan Shuren. He is in the section of ecology, behavior, evolution, at the University of California, and he has worked with these hippos, and he's been studying these hippos in Colombia. So if you're probably wondering, okay, why in the world, like, how are the hippos in Colombia? Did they cross the ocean? No, they did not. They actually came from Pablo Escobar, the famous drug lord. That is correct. He had a private zoo. He started out with four hippos, and the hippos escaped once he died, and now we have over 100 hippos in South America. It is so exciting. During the interview, I talked to John about his experience, you know, studying them. I talked to him, you know, about the ecological impact and, you know, that hippos have on the environment. I mean, is it bad they're in South America? Are they competing with native species? Are they trying to control the populations? You know, do they have safety measures? Because, I mean, if you guys didn't know this, hippos are extremely dangerous. They kill a lot of people in Africa. And also, like, how are the locals around the hippos? Are they scared? Are they relaxed? You guys, you're going to find out some amazing insight about South America's hippos. And I'll tell you what, and I mentioned this during the interview, my wife and I were trying to you know, plan a vacation in like 2021, and we were going to go to Universal Studios in Orlando you know, with the theme park and stuff. It turns out, after talking to John, I found out that Pablo Escobar's property, there's an amusement park where his property was, and you can also see hippos. So I'm going to try to talk to her and be like, hey, babe, let's kill two birds with one stone. We could still go to an amusement park. Maybe it won't be as safe as Universal Studios, but that's okay. And we could also see hippos. You guys, I'm serious. I'm throwing it out there. I will definitely be down in Colombia to see these wild hippos. All right, before we get to today's show, as always, please make sure to rate and review the podcast. We are getting a lot of uh, a lot of reviews are coming in, and we're getting a lot of feedback. Last week, I you know, as you know, or maybe you don't, we released the interview uh, with Mark Simmons regarding SeaWorld and Blackfish and his work with Keiko Free Willy, and we're getting a lot of people, and uh, most of the feedback back is pretty good. And I'll just say what up to all the haters out there, but that's okay. These topics need to be discussed. So as always, uh, you know, please make sure to rate and review the show. And I love your feedback and I also love your guest suggestions. So if you know of someone who would be perfect for the animals to the max podcast, they do not have to be famous. They do not have to be studying hippos in Columbia. They just really have to interest me and just, you know, provide value for you, the listener, please send your guest suggestions to info at CorbinMaxi.com. And for all the haters out there, uh, please don't message me at all. So with that said, uh, oh, and by the way, also please make sure to follow me on my social channels at CorbinMaxi on Instagram, Facebook, 
TikTok, and YouTube. Okay, let's get to it. We are going to talk about some South American hippos. Please welcome to the show, Dr. Jonathan Shuren. I am so excited today. Folks on the show, I have Dr. Jonathan Shuren. He is at the section of Ecology, Behavior, and Evolution at the University of California. I mean, Jonathan, I am so excited to have you on the show. Thanks. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Yes. And I don't know if you know this or not, but hippos are my favorite animal. <laughs> wow. And you're an animal guy. And I'm an animal guy. And I mean, I've that's, worked. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, that's, that's that's saying something. You've, you've probably given this some thought. I have. And I've been yeah. wanting to talk about the hippos that are invasive in South America. And I came across an article with you in the LA Times titled Cocaine Hippos. Yes. And, and, I, and, I, and I got to use the word crap in the LA Times, which was a, <laughs> a career highlight for me. <laughs> I'm, first. I'm so excited. So thank uh, you for thank you for taking the time. Let's literally dive into this. How did you get involved? Okay. And we could also talk because there are probably a lot of listeners who were like, wait a second, why are there hippos in yeah. South America? Right. So I was once like one of those uh, listeners uh, who didn't know about them. Uh, I've done a bunch of research in in South America. My work, uh, my work. I actually really don't study animals. I really study ecosystems. Uh, I study kelp forests and lakes. I work in Yosemite National Park in California, and I've worked on Vancouver Island in Canada a lot. Uh, and I started doing some work on water pollution issues in Colombia and South America. Uh, and I learned the story of the hippos uh, a number of years ago. And it just sounded like too good to pass up and too much of an opportunity uh, to, to go do some really exciting research. So, uh, so we started a whole project studying uh, the effects that they are having on their, on their environment. Yes. But how did the hippos get – can we get into the whole story of how the sure. hippos got to South America? Yes. Okay, so the whole yeah, so the whole story of how they got there, they did not get there on their own. They had some help, uh, and they um, so they're uh, so Colombia is famous for a number of things, coffee and uh, other stuff. And Colombia is one of the world's biodiverse, mega biodiverse countries. It has something like twenty percent of the world's bird species. It has way more than its share of plants and amphibians and everything else. Uh, and the reason for that is it has a very crazy sort of geography where it has a Caribbean coast and has a Pacific coast and then it has three ranges of the Andes mountains that go up to very, very high elevation. So it has this really sort of crazy topography. And that that same geography that makes it so biologically diverse also makes it uh, sort of politically and socially and economically uh, a bit uh, unruly because a lot of the country is in these very remote, hard to get to places in the Amazon rainforest and the Choco and the Pacific, uh, very high in the Andes. Um, and so for it had a about a 50 year civil war that ended only in 2016. Uh, and during that time, it became a sort of hotbed of illicit activities. Uh, the most famous example of that, uh, as everyone with a Netflix subscription knows, uh, is Pablo Escobar, who is the head of the cocaine cartel from Medellin, one of the major cities. Uh, there was another group from Cali, but they didn't have as uh, exciting or interesting a leader. Uh, and so he uh, was at one time one of the richest people in the world and certainly one of the richest people in Colombia. Uh, and unlike many other people who run criminal enterprises, he did not really keep a real low profile. Uh, he ran for public office. He was sort of a well-known public figure. Um, and if you're if you're poor and crazy, you're just crazy. But if you're rich and crazy, you're eccentric. And so he was eccentric. And one of his eccentricities was, like you and I, he was very interested in uh, in animals and very excited about animals. Uh, but he was able to indulge that eccentricity. And so he made a collection of more than a thousand uh, animal exotic animals that he bought from around the world. He had giraffes, he had ostriches, he had all sorts of uh, all sorts of crazy things at his ranch outside of Medellin in the in the countryside. 
Uh, and so, uh, and his his zoo, his private zoo, is also open to the public. So he invited the neighbors to come in and see his collection. <laughs> Uh, which you know, if you can imagine, as a parent bringing your kids to the uh, the narco traffickers' uh, private zoo, I guess you know if you, anything to keep the kids happy. Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, and so people, uh, so people, uh, so he had that for a number of years. And uh, um, the thing about being a narco trafficker is that the the pay is good, but the retirement plan's not that great. <laughs> and so he uh, died in a shootout with the police in 1993. Although he's kind of the the Elvis of Colombia, lots of people there believe that he's still alive uh, and and sort of faked his own death, which is entirely possible. Uh, I have no no information to confirm or refute that. Um, <laughs> but uh, in any case, his empire and his properties and his holdings were uh, taken over by the government, uh, and so then they had the the not so uh, enviable uh, job of figuring out what to do with his collection of animals. And so most of the animals got distributed to various other zoos or sort of, you know, found found new homes in one way or another. Uh, but it turned out he had about he had a, a group of four hippos living in a lake at his property. And nobody was very excited to wade into the lake and try and collect the hippos. Uh, and so they did what any reasonable person would do in that situation. And they just left the hippos to uh, sort of to live their best hippo lives and enjoy themselves uh, and it turns out the hippos quite enjoy living in Colombia, and they've they've uh, they've made quite a go of it. Uh, and so they've been happily doing what hippos do best, which is make more hippos. Uh, and so there's now estimated to be somewhere approaching about a hundred of them. So there's a uh, a group of so there's now a number, and they've spread out. So the main lake where he had them still has a large group of maybe 20 or 30. Okay. Uh, and then they have been sort of slowly creeping out across the countryside. So various uh, stray individual animals and then small family groups have sort of taken up residence in various other water bodies. Uh, they are amphibious, as you know, so they come out at night and walk around, and so they sort of pop up and appear and disappear uh, to everyone's great surprise in various places at various times. Uh, and they've also now colonized the Magdalena River, which is the big uh, river that flows down in from the Andes down into the Caribbean on the Caribbean coast of Colombia. Uh, and just uh, this summer, one was seen about 300 or more kilometers away from from Hacienda Napoles, which is the name of his property, uh, so which indicates that they have spread much farther than they had previously. So previously they were known to be, you know, up to about 100 kilometers away, but now they're coming close to being, or they have been seen on in places uh, coming close to Cartagena and the and the Caribbean coast, uh, and so they they've sort of just been slowly going about their business. Uh, and, you know, as you can imagine, there, you know, there's sort of a local fascination and, uh, you know, people come by to see them. There's a little cafe where you can sit and look at the ones in the, uh, in the main hippo lake. Really? Um, but, yeah, so you can go, you can go there. So his ranch, Hacienda Napoles, was turned into a, uh, an amusement park. So it now has rides what? and hotels and it's sort of a... Uh, and it's actually it's actually pretty nice. I recommend it. It's um, uh, it's sort of a uh, a sort of wild version of Disneyland. Uh, what? And, um, oh my yep, so, goodness! So that's that's what they've done. So yeah, it's sort of you know making when you get lemons, you make lemonade. So that's that's right? how they made lemonade. Oh my gosh! Uh, An amusement yep. park right where he yep. was. And yeah, his whole property. It's uh, yeah, it's called Asian Annapolis. It has a sort of safari theme to it, and it has. Uh, a number of a number of animals as well, uh, but they've sort of spread out and they they've started having more sort of uh, let's say less than uh, friendly interactions with the local public. So there's stories of them uh, attacking boats and fishermen in the river, uh, and there was a news story uh, a month or a couple of months ago uh, about some local farmer getting getting severely injured in, a, in an encounter with one when he was going down to collect water in some in some part of the river. Uh, and so they're, they're sort of starting to uh, make their presence known more and more. Uh, but for most people, they're, they're kind of a local curiosity. They have some value to the economy because tourists come to see them. Uh, and so they're kind of a, a local mascot and kind of point of pride. Uh, and people, people are very, people that I've met are very sort of nonchalant about them. 
uh, and sort of view them as, as just sort of a curiosity. Um, although, although that may, that may change at some point as there become more and more of them. Wow. Okay. So in the nineties, he had four <laughs> hippos at the zoo. And then since the nineties, we now have over 100 hippos. That's right. <laughs> and that's, yeah. And that's, if you sort of do the math on that, that's about a, about a 10% annual increase. And the, the wow. thing about sort of populations, as we've, you know, learned from various other recent events is that they can sort of explode upwards. If you're growing at 10%, uh, it means that you you double in every you know some period of time, and so you know if you double from ten to twenty, that's one thing. But if you double from five thousand to ten thousand, that's a it ta- takes place in the same period of time. Uh, if each hippo is sort of reproducing at its own at its own same rate, uh, so uh, so the population has the potential to grow if if it sort of, if you sort of draw that line out. Uh, that in the next, you know, couple of decades, there could be thousands of them. Wow. And just to be clear, South America never had hippos. No. So South America, like North America, used to have all kinds of crazy wildlife. Uh, so mastodons and gomphophores oh, and all the Pleistocene animals that, that existed uh, up to about 15,000 years ago. Uh, but it never had anything like, you know, sort of very similar to a hippo. So it has the pachyderm. The local pachyderm flavor is uh, tapir. So yes. there are tapirs. Uh, and they are, so they are in the same sort of group of species with hippos. Uh, there are capybaras, which is another uh, amphibious large mammal, the largest rodent in the world. Uh, and so they are there, there. Uh, and there's actually another large um, uh, uh, mammal invader, uh, which is the Asian water buffalo, which were brought uh, for palm oil plantation. So they are they do better than regular cows in a very wet environment. And so they were brought in to haul around palm oil and to uh, and for farming. Uh, and they've also kind of gone rogue and are now uh, now a part of the local ecosystem. Wow. And those are two dangerous animals. I mean, a water buffalo and hippos, right? I mean, those are. They, yeah, those are. Yeah, those are two that. Yeah, you you should do your best to avoid if at all possible. Y- yeah, I was going to say. Uh-huh. Yeah. So let's talk about that, because if someone listening has no idea. I mean, a lot of people don't realize how aggressive hippos are. Can Can you talk about that really quick? Yeah, so that um, so I you know I've seen hippos in South Africa and people there were terrified of them. They would not go anywhere near any body of water that had hippos in it or uh, or even had sort of a chance of having hippos in them. Uh, so there and I I assume they came about their reputation uh, by honest means and and have and have caused all kinds of mayhem in Africa. In Colombia, as I said, there have been some incidents, but uh, in general, they they haven't seemed to be quite as aggressive. And I, whether they are actually behaviorally different, whether they have sort of adapted to more mellow South American ways and become uh, a sort of more relaxed, easygoing animal, I don't know. Uh, one possibility, and this is from talking to people who study them in Africa, uh, is that in a lot of the places where they've been studied in Africa or in East Africa, like Kenya or Tanzania, and those places have a really pronounced dry season. So there's a period of the year where the river level drops really low and the hippos get all squeezed together into tiny little puddles. And apparently at that time, they become very, very grumpy and cranky because they are they are sort of packed into a tiny little puddle. In Colombia, uh, it's in the tropics also, and so it has sort of two peaks of rainy seasons, one in the fall, one in the one in the spring. Um, but in between, even the dry seasons are wetter than the dry seasons in Colombia are wetter than the wet season in Kenya, right? It's like it's very wet. Uh-huh. It rains a lot and they never really get squeezed into a tiny little place the way they do, at least in some parts of Africa. There are wetter tropical parts of Africa that have hippos and presumably it's more similar. But it doesn't they never, they never, the, the Magdalena River where they live is a huge river. It never dries up into little puddles. It's always a big, great big river. So they never seem to be 
sort of at the densities that they can be in Africa. And that may be when they're very aggressive is when they're sort of at, when they're, you know, they're not having a very good time in the, you know, during the dry season. So it may be that in Colombia, they're just, they're just sort of fat and happy and, and not in the mood to fight with anybody. Yeah. And then do you think it's also because they don't have to necessarily compete, not compete for resources, but like with other large megafauna, yeah. right? Like, they yeah, they, have, that's, yeah. That's entirely possible. I am told uh, from people who know these things well that they uh, that they also are that lions can predate hippos in Africa. Oh yeah. Uh, and so they always in, in in places that have lions, they they never stray very far from the water, so they always sort of have their their safe base to go back to. Uh, in Colombia, they have uh, jaguars, but they're not they're not anywhere near big enough to predate a hippo. So I don't they they presumably don't have any. Uh, any natural, pre- any sort of large-bodied predators. You know, you're explaining something. This sounds like hippo paradise, like a place that never dries up. You don't have any predators. You have plentiful yeah. food. There's no competition. Are you kidding me? Yeah, they seem very happy. Although I should also note that we, so we study them in a bunch of little lakes that are are sort of little artificial lakes that were made to store water for uh, for cattle ranching. Uh, and so that's where we studied them and where where our research took place. And every time so we went to a number of lakes that had hippos and we would go down to the water and collect water samples for bacteria and algae and plankton and, you know, oxygen, and water chemistry, all those things. And they would sort of look at us and never really respond very much. They never seemed to, they would, they would sometimes sort of swim over to the other side of the lake away from us and just kind of keep an eye on us and we would keep an eye on them. Um, but there was not, they didn't seem to mind us that much. When we went out in a boat in the river, they seemed much less happy to see us. Their body language was more, uh, sort of get out of my river. Um, and, and they, they seem to be, uh, they seem to be more aggressive in the river, whether that's because they're different in the river, they probably encounter people more in the river. Um, and we were in a boat, so I don't know if it was because we were in a boat versus on foot that may have, that may have been different. Uh, but they definitely in the river, they kind of rose up out of the water and kind of swam towards us and in a very sort of, uh, back off kind of, kind of fashion and back off we did. Yeah, I've uh, been charged by hippos like that in a boat once in Lake Navasha mm. in Kenya. And then once yeah. we took a bathroom break and it was, I've never uh, had more of a, I mean, yeah. my God, it was like, uh, were you nervous at times or did you play well, I was, cool? I mean, I was, I was looking at the, uh, you know, the outboard motor and uh, trying to think how much, how reliable it seemed to be. Uh, I mean, we were, you know, we were in a boat with the motor running, so we could, we could easily run away. Uh, so I, I didn't, it wasn't, I didn't really think they were going to get us. Uh, if, you know, if we'd been in a canoe or something, I would have had a, had a different feeling about it, but, uh, you know, we just sort of zoomed away from them. Yeah. And I mean, just once again, they're really aggressive in Africa. They commonly kill people like more Mm -hmm. than, I mean, you know, I think that's, that's what I hear. Yeah. Yeah. That is wow. Okay, and we haven't had any deaths so far in South America. We just have had some incidences where they've gotten a little too close, and where someone has been severely injured. Right. This this summer was the first time that somebody got severely injured, and I actually don't know what uh, what happened to that person, but he he wound up in the hospital, and the the newspaper articles make it sound like he was pretty badly injured. Um, but but to to the best of my knowledge, nobody or no, there's been no report of anybody anybody being killed by them yet. Okay, so as a scientist like yourself and you study ecology, if mm-hmm. I'm listening, I mean, is this a bad thing they're in South America? Or like, what is their impact in South America? Because it sounds like they're doing just fine. But I mean, with the environment, like, let's get into it, you know? Yeah, that, so that's the question. That's really the question of our research. So in Africa, there's been a lot of evidence that hippos are what we call ecosystem engineers. So some species that has a really sort of disproportionate effect on the ecology of an environment that it lives in. And there's a whole bunch of other examples you can think of. Uh, And the sort of the best analogy I can think of is sort of like salmon that, you know, migrate upstream. They sort of go out as little tiny fry or baby salmon out into the ocean and they grow up into these big monster fish and come back upstream and then die and sort of import all these nutrients into the forest and into the rivers. Um, And hippos are sort of similar in that, they feed almost entirely on land at night. So they come out at night and they graze on grass. And so they just sort of walk around uh, and they make these what are called grazing lawns. So they kind of graze down uh, an area to some really short 
stature grass and then they keep coming back over and over so they sort of exclude all the other vegetation and maintain it as sort of a nice you know sort of they're basically farmers right <laughs> um and then they go and they spend the day cooling off in the water uh and naturally they're not very neat and tidy creatures so they excrete a whole bunch of waste uh and because they're so big and they eat so much uh from the point of view of the the body of water that they're in, that is a significant source of fertilization. So they, uh, they release a lot of nutrients that stimulate growth of algae and aquatic plants, uh, and they re release organic material that stimulates growth of bacteria. Uh, and what those bacteria can do then is if they're really super fertilized, they can, at night, when there's no photosynthesis going on, they consume all the oxygen, and they can drive the oxygen in the water down below what is tolerable for fish. So in places in Africa where hippos are really concentrated, you can have an event where all the fish go belly up and start floating on the surface and die uh, because the oxygen goes too low for them. Yeah. It's kind of it's kind of similar to if you you know if you overfeed your fish in your aquarium, the fish die not because they eat too much, but because you feed the bacteria too much, and then the bacteria use up all the oxygen and then the fish suffocate. So they're not dying from overeating they're dying because the bacteria drive the oxygen too low and so that's that's what happens in these in these hippo lakes in africa uh and so we looked in columbia at the kinds of bacteria that we found the kinds of algae we found the kinds of invertebrates plankton and uh crustaceans and insects and things like that uh to see if there were differences between lakes with hippos and without hippos and what have you found so we found that there were differences in the algae that were present, that hippo lakes tend to have more cyanobacteria, which are blue-green algae, which are uh, indicators of water pollution. So they're okay. typically, when you have harmful algae blooms uh, that cause water to smell bad or taste bad, that's very often cyanobacteria that are causing that. Uh, so they're, they typically do well when there's really high nutrient levels. Uh, we didn't see differences in the other groups, the bacteria or the invertebrates. Uh, and we saw some differences in the water chemistry in, uh, in how uh, much the oxygen concentration changed throughout the day. Uh, the hippo lakes had uh, sort of higher peaks and lower valleys because there's, you know, all the, all the organisms are sort of fertilized and kind of growing at their maximum rate. Uh, and so there's higher productivity in, in lakes with hippos. Uh, and those are in your, your question of like, is that good or bad? I mean, in general, uh, stimulating, making lakes very productive is generally not considered good because it contributes to harmful algae. It can contribute to death of fish. Um, so generally what we think of as sort of a healthy river or lake is a sort of clear, you know, clear, clean water, unproductive. And a very green, soupy river or lake is a is generally Pretty, you know, usually contaminated by uh, by excess nutrients from agriculture or from you know wastewaters or sewage or something like that. Wow. Okay. And so now, I mean, with with only around a hundred, it doesn't seem like that much. But you're projecting in a few decades we could have over a thousand, and that could be detrimental. That's right, for sure. So as I mean, as yeah. So I mean, if you know, if you can detect a, an effect when there is you know relatively few of them, you you know you just sort of would expect that as as there's more of them that that effect should become greater and greater so that's that's one potential uh outcome the other uh issue that people are worried about although we don't have any data about this or we've sort of started to try and study this is their interactions with other local wildlife and one of yeah. one of the main thing is uh the, the river the magdalena river has manatees which are endangered species it has so manatees they have manatees, yep, correct. And, wow. uh, and so whether hippos interact with manatees, nobody knows. Uh, they have these giant river turtles, these like really huge freshwater turtles. Um, and so whether whether hippos have any interaction with those kinds of things or with fish populations, uh, we nobody really has any idea. This is a place that until recently was not safe to go to, and so there's very little scientific research because there is, you know, it was not, a, not a place anyone was, uh, sort of able or, or willing to go to do research for a long time. Wow. I had no idea. So there, I mean, it's very mm -hmm. likely that there have been interactions with hippos and manatees, but no one has documented it. That's yeah, that's right. And it's, and I mean, manatees are just, I don't know, they're really hard to observe, right? Like they, yeah. they sort of hang out in the most sort of, you know, vegetated kind of, 
you know, just really, it's not easy to see a manatee. I've, I've never seen one. Um, and, and so they're, you know, studying them is really, is really complicated and difficult. Uh, and so, you know, there's a lot of there, you know, there's a lot of, those are questions that are really hard to answer. Wow. That sounds like a good BBC, you know, planet earth, you know, documentary right there. If you're able to, yeah. Yeah. So I, okay. So I just have to think about this. How was the genetic diversity? Cause you only started with four. Yeah, that's a great question. So yeah, there was one male and three females. Okay. And so, uh, by just sort of basic, um, you know, genetic principles, you should predict that there should be very high inbreeding. Meaning yes. that, you know, there's a very small gene pool and inbreeding is something. So yeah, I mean, so you know, based on that, you'd think, well, the population should grow slowly because these are sort of inbred individuals. Uh, and there certainly are cases of populations that have become very inbred and suffered sort of low reproductive rate as a result of that. Uh, but there are other examples around the world of sort of very low genetic diversity populations that seem to do just fine. So inbreeding is a kind of weird thing that it's it's not really understood why some species really seem to suffer from it a lot more than others. I mean, the other thing is that if, you know, it may be that like maybe, you know, their, their annual reproductive rate is their population is growing at 10%. It may be that, you know, if there was higher genetic diversity, maybe it would be growing at 11% or something, but you know, it's still a very high rate of growth, right? So even, even the inbreeding effect may reduce their growth rate some small amount, but not enough to really prevent them from growing. Uh, and so whether they're, you know, they, they don't look, I mean, if you ever, I don't they're, they're in the Channel Islands here in California, there's this Channel Island fox, an endemic fox that has really, you know, it's on these small islands and has really low genetic diversity. And if you ever go see them, they look really weird. Like they've all got really weird ears and tails and like they, they just, you know, like each one kind of looks different than all the other ones and they have all these bizarre things. Uh, but the hippos, as far as I can, you know, to the best of my untrained eye, they, they appear just like any other normal hippos. Wow. And have you noticed, I mean, are they bigger physically since they have access to more resources or I'm just like, are they similar? I can't, I mean, not, not that I would notice, but we, you know, I was, we were really there to study the lakes. And so we kind of avoided the hippos to the best <laughs> of our ability. So I did not get up close and personal with them uh, enough to make those kinds of observations, but uh, that's, you know, that's something we're sort of considering as the, as the research unfolds is, you know, are they behaviorally different? Do they behave differently than hippos in Africa? Do they wander more? Do they, you know, do they spend more time out of water or in water? Uh, we're also looking at whether they get different kinds of parasites. So we're oh, collecting yeah. their, their poop and looking for what parasites we have in them and comparing that with African hippos. So sort of whether they've, you know, whether they have, change their biology or their behavior or anything like that since they've colonized South America is something we're interested in knowing. Okay. I have a question for you. Tell me. Okay. Tell you ready for it. <laughs> uh, Wait on me. Oh, no, Do your worst. Yeah, no, it's not. It's not even bad. Do we still have at like one or two of the original hippos from the zoo still alive? That's a good question. Um, so, so he died in 1993. So that's 2003, 2013. So that would be a, you know, at least a 30 or 40 year old hippo. Um, I don't, uh, I don't know that that's true. I don't know that it's not true. Um, uh, I, I don't know what sort of a reasonable maximum age they have in the little, um, cafe that's overlooking the main hippo lake. They have the skull of a male hippo that died in a territorial battle with another male hippo. Oh. Uh, and so they've, so there has, so they, um, you know, there has been some changing of the guard or some at least, uh, you know, cha- challenges. So I, I don't know. Yeah. Whether any of the original four are still around. I, I don't know. Nobody, nobody's really, paid that much attention to them until recently they've just kind of been left alone to do their own thing so i don't i don't think anybody really knows wow and so so there no one had so like the hippos don't have tags or no one's keeping that close of a night no they're just (laughs) they're just out there in the lake (laughs) they're just there and they they've showed me i mean the farmers showed me things where they you know they have like barbed wire fences for their cattle and they just sort of walk through a barbed wire oh, fence yeah. and knocked it down so they showed me they showed me that one rancher guy took out his cell phone and showed me a picture of a hippo walking through his cattle in his pasture uh, and so they you know they just kind of come and go as they please 
there was a story in the paper of someone running into one on their motorcycle, uh, driving in the dark down the road, and and a hippo was crossing the road, and there was an there was an encounter. Uh, so that's that's there. There's been there's various stories like that, but yeah, there's nobody's really there's been no sort of systematic study of them until now. Wow, and I'm getting from from what you said earlier. It seems like the community is I seem a little more relaxed because when I was in Africa, it was like you had yeah. a guard at night. Yeah. You had like it was you don't go. No, really, there were there were hippos and outside yeah. of our cabin. Like I mean, you know what it's like. Yeah. It's it's terrifying. <laughs> that's what that's what it was like when I was in Africa too, and uh, and the Colombians are very uh, are very casual about the whole thing. They they just kind of uh, uh, they they you know they they. People go and go fishing in the lakes where they are, and sort of stand on the shore. And, oh uh, God! They're, uh, you know, uh, you know, they're they they have a they have a sort of casual attitude about danger, apparently. But they, yeah, they it, it, they don't seem nearly as concerned as in Africa, where I had the same observation you had, which was that nobody was willing to get anywhere near them when they were around. No. And okay. And do any of, so the locals, it seems like they like him. I mean, they're bringing in, they stimulate the economy because people come to visit these famous drug cocaine hippos. I mean, that's what they were. (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's basically the way most people I think view them as they're kind of a local oddity. And, you know, they, they sort of bring people, people come to come see them. And, uh, I mean, I, there is sort of more concern growing about what they mean for safety and for the environment uh, and the question about what can and should be done and how to do it humanely and all those kinds of things. Uh, those questions are becoming more and more, uh, uh, you know, more and more asked more and more often. Yeah. I mean, what is your professional opinion? Should they start culling or killing hippos in South America? Well, yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, you know, it's obviously not the hippos fault that they're there. They didn't they didn't choose to do this. Uh, so I don't want to blame them. But they I mean, the the thing I will say is that, you know, whatever you're going to you know, if you're ultimately going to have to do something about them, it's much better to do it when there's few of them when they're then when there's many of them. So, you know, if you were going to wind up killing them. You know, if you killed them now, you'd kill, you know, 80 or 100 of them. Oh. If you killed them in 20 years, you kill thousands of them and obviously it'd be better to uh, kill. Uh, so then the question is, are there other things that could you sterilize them or oh, take yeah. them back into captivity? So there's questions about uh, either, you know, sort of chemically or surgically sterilizing them, how many you would have to get. To do that, uh, how much it would cost. I actually just had a call uh, early last week with uh, some veterinarians from Colombia uh, discussing sort of trying to figure out how many you would have to get uh, in order to in order to effectively, you know, if you just sterilize them, then they would, you know, be able to live out their lives, but they wouldn't they wouldn't keep increasing in number. Uh, but, the, you know, the issue is, you know, this is not not a not a rich place. They have no resources for this kind of thing. Uh, and so the question of who would uh, who would pay for such an operation uh, is is very much uh, is very much um, you know on people's minds. There was uh, at least one killed a number of years ago, and it caused a fairly big uproar. And I think there was even a lawsuit in Colombia about it uh, that there. Um, so pe- both Colombian and internationally. Uh, people, uh, you know, concerned about animal welfare were very upset about that. And so my collaborators who I work with, who work for the agency, the government agency that's in charge of dealing with this situation, they tell me that that killing them is really not palatable with the public and it would cause a massive uproar. So they're they are sort of of the belief that some they're of they're they're convinced that uh, some other solution has to be found. Now, of course, if they started creating more mayhem, then uh, then the they're sort of popularity with the public might change yeah i uh why did they kill one several years ago did it attack someone I, or i uh i read a story about it and i the details are escaping me right now i think it was causing some i think it uh i think it was causing some problems for somebody i don't think they killed it just uh uh just idly i think it it was it was a problem for some for somebody for some reason but i can't remember the details a problem hippo man you said this sounds like such a fun vacation i want to talk to my (laughs) wife because i didn't realize (laughs) there was an amusement park i mean we could see the amusement park the hippos that's amazing so it it just in columbia huh i mean just yeah it's it's beautiful there the amusement park sites there's some uh um, there's some really great wildlife you can see along the Magdalena <laughs> River too. There's all kinds of howler monkeys and macaws, and uh, it has the most iguanas I've ever seen in my life. The trees are just wow. like 
covered in iguanas. Uh, so it's really, it's, it's a really, it's a really great place to go. I really love it there. It's beautiful. People are wonderful and it's, uh, there's all kinds of fun stuff to see. So I, I recommend it highly. Wow. And what are my chance, are my chances like pretty high of seeing a hippo there? Oh, you can, you can have a hundred percent chance if you go, uh, <laughs> if you just go to, um, uh, uh, so you, the town is called Doradal and there's, uh, uh, if you go out to Asiendanapolis, so they, there's the amusement park. Uh, the amusement park has this little entrance gate, and it's uh, you can see it, and it's in the like opening credits of Narcos, I believe, uh, and it has the little t- uh, zebra-striped plane that was Pablo Escobar's first plane he used wow. uh, to transport drugs. They they <laughs> took that down. That's no longer there. They don't. They um, there's uh, you know Colombians are somewhat sensitive about sort of. They don't like that, you know, their most famous uh, citizen is this criminal, right? Like it's yeah. not, there's, that's not, that's not the image that they like to project. Um, and, and so they're, they're sort of, they're a little bit tired of the whole Pablo Escobar story. Uh, and so they, they took the plane down to try and sort of make it less about, less about him. Um, but you, you will have a gear, you will absolutely guaranteed to see hippos at the, um, uh, and I'm trying to remember what they're just the, there's a, there's the little cafe that has, uh, so they, uh, somebody, they go and sort of throw a bunch of like carrots and stuff out like once a day. It's not really sad. It's not like feeding them. I'm sure it's not like a significant part of their nutrition, but it's yeah. just sort of a, a snack that keeps them, keeps them from wandering too much. So they, they kind of always hang out in this one place. So you, you can see those ones for sure. Uh, if you want to go see them in the river, which I also recommend, there's a, a woman named Isabella who has a really fabulous, uh, uh, her son has a bunch of boats, and they will take you out and give you lunch and drive you around the river and show you all kinds of good stuff. And that, I also recommend that. It's very fun. Wow. Okay. I, I have uh, a, an, another question. I don't want to put you on the spot, but is yeah. there is there any other place in the world where we have, you know, invasive megafauna? Because you don't think of, I mean, when yeah. you think of invasive species, a lot of them are smaller. I mean, I guess that's, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean like there isn't, I can't think of anywhere else. I know you said the Asian I, water Buffalo. Yeah. The the water Buffalo, I think are, are invasive in a couple of other places. Aren't they in Australia um, I, too? I think maybe. Yeah. yeah. I think they're invasive in other parts in South America, maybe Brazil or somewhere. Uh-huh. Um, Cause they've been sort of moved around a bunch. Um, I can't really, think of any there was a big population of bison and in, in the channel islands that was brought there for a hollywood movie wow. a long time ago and they've just sort of been living there forever actually there's um if you ever go to hearst castle in california in san simeon um so william randolph hearst who was uh who was he the uh, rupert murdoch of his day or something like some sort of media baron uh, and he also had a bunch of animals, and I think there's even still some zebras and things running around. Um, but I can't think of anywhere where they've really, uh, you know, sort of taken off and spread the way they have there. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's the idea that you know, you know, these ecosystems used to have these sort of megafauna, and and they've all been sort of hunted away, and so these, you know, these megafauna are kind of just retaking their their rightful place uh, in the local ecosystems. And so, yeah, and there's this this sort of idea of sort of restoration of ecosystems by sort of recovering the lost ecosystem functions of these megafauna and the idea of sort of creating these Pleistocene parks or places where you sort of restore, uh, you know, populations of megafauna with the idea that they will sort of maintain ecosystems in something like the, what, you know, what used to be the natural state. Do you think this is back on trying to control them? Is there a part of you that just thinks, we should just leave them. I mean, this, I mean, there's so yeah. ma- many bigger problems going on yeah. in the world. And if they're bringing happiness or not eating and well, they don't eat they're, people, but I <laughs> like, yeah, they're, I mean, they're, they're, I mean, so I will definitely say there are definitely bigger problems. There are certainly bigger problems in <laughs> Colombia. Uh, I mean, yeah. so all around this area, there's palm oil plantations, there's mining, like uncontrolled sort of unregulated mining. I mean, there are, you know, there are big environmental impacts, um, and, you know, certainly bigger things than, uh, what these hippos are doing. So, you know, just in terms of like, are, you know, are there, are there bigger fish to fry? Absolutely. There are, uh, on, you know, on the other hand, uh, you know, as you know, they, you know, as they sort of, you know, people, people come into conflict with wildlife all over the world. So certainly in Africa, people have, you know, there's a lot of, you know, people who live near these kinds of animals often have, 
uh, all sorts of conflicts with them and, 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 and they can start to create all sorts of problems. So, I mean, I think it is, I think it is worth asking, you know, what can we do? What should we do? How can we do it humanely? Those are, those are all good questions to be asking, but you know, there definitely are other, uh, other environmental problems everywhere and certainly in Colombia. Sure. Oh my goodness. So do you see yourself working on this project in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years? Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I, um, um, yeah, I, I mean, quite possibly, I am, I would like to, you know, I'm, I'm sort of interested in, uh, you know, the longer you study ecosystems, you, you know, you, they, they continue to surprise you all the time. And so, you know, I like just sort of getting to know these places really well. And so, you know, I'm trying to set up with my colleagues, uh, uh, you know, you know, so if you're sort of, if you're asking questions about like, you know, what are the impacts of these animals? Like you need some kind of a baseline and you need, you know, you need to be able to, you know, sort of have adequate data and sampling. Uh, and this is a really exciting part of the world. It's really biologically diverse. It's really beautiful. Uh, and as I said, there's really been no research done there. So it really is, you know, not, you know, just a complete, you know, untamed frontier as far as, uh, you know, what sort of things are happening. And so, uh, so one, you know, one of the things we're doing is we're trying, so you can use paleo reconstruction. So, you know, from the bottom of lakes, you can take cores of sediments, uh, and use the fossils in those to reconstruct past environments. So you can look at how, you know, the remains left by, you know, animals and fish and invertebrates and all kinds of things. And, uh, and sort of look at how things have changed over time and sort of ask, you know, did, did things change around the time the hippos showed up? Is there any, you know, did you, do we see any sort of change in the ecosystem and how, you know, how much, how have they changed? You can go back, you know, hundreds or thousands of years that way and, and see how things have changed. So we're starting to use some of those techniques as well. Dude, I have a question. I'm going to put you lay it on, on me. I'm going to lay it uh-huh. on you. Dude, I would love to come down and film sometime. Do you think that'd be possible? Oh, that would definitely be possible. That, yeah, we would love to have you. It's uh uh, it's, it, it, it would be, it's, uh, I'm sort of, I'm, I'm a really bad, uh, uh, videographer and documentary <laughs> person myself. Uh, and so I, I, and so people like, I have very minimal pictures and videos of, from my, my time down there. Cause I just, I'm not, uh, I don't sort of habitually do that. And so I would really like somebody who knows how to do it properly to come, uh, come do that. So it's, I mean, it's really fun when we go out. I have collaborators from Columbian universities and we, you know, rent some trucks and we go out with a bunch of students from their universities and we go and collect a whole bunch of water samples and, you know, samples for all kinds of things. And we, you know, we, we go and sort of scout out new locations and it, and it's just really, it's just really fun. It's just sort of exploring this, this sort of whole new environment. Dude, I am yeah, on so it'd be it. great. Come on down. You're, you're invited. Dude, I am on it. Dude, I have to convince mm-hmm. the Today Show somehow. Come on. <laughs> get me down there. We'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> I just think it's so fascinating. So many people. Yeah. I feel like there's still so many people yeah. don't realize there are hippos in South, you know, in South America. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people are like, wait, what? So I just think yeah. it's a fascinating topic, man. I How exciting to be on the frontier of this. Like, Or to be yeah. – oh, how exciting, man. You're like leaving a legacy. Yeah. This is so cool. <laughs> cool. Thanks. I'm, yeah, well, I'm, I'm as excited as you are. It's, it is, it is definitely, uh, it is definitely a lot of fun. Yes. Okay. Can you hit me before we leave with your favorite hippo fact? And you can hit me with more than one if you want, but favorite hippo facts. Oh, do I have a, like, what am I, I'm trying to think, uh, favorite hippo facts. I'm trying to think something that's, uh, um, uh, so, okay. So there's, uh, the locals told us, so the, the, so the, the, uh, amusement park, Asian Annapolis has, uh, this hippo named Vanessa, who's the one that they have in <laughs> captivity and they, and apparently Vanessa is getting long in the tooth. Uh, and so they're looking for the next generation of, uh, display hippos. And so the local people told us that the amusement park, uh, sent out word that they would pay something like 600 bucks for a live baby hippo if anyone wanted to go capture one. And I was like, 600 bucks to catch a baby hippo? That seems like not enough to make me go do that. And I, <laughs> I've never, I've never seen a baby that wasn't with its parents, and uh, you know, it doesn't doesn't seem like it seems like there's a lot of potential for things to go wrong. Uh, <laughs> so there's so there's a currently a bounty out for a for a baby hippo of about 600 bucks. But um, oh my god, uh, that's yeah, that's that's the best I can come up with. I can't, I don't think I can't think of anything else that's really uh, anything really. 
yeah, that's that's the best I can do. No, I love it. I've I mean I don't uh, love I don't love that there's a bounty on a baby hippo. I just think it's fascinating. Yeah. Well, it has to be alive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't it has to yeah. Please don't uh if you're wanting an extra six hundred, it has to be alive. That is is it Okay, I, so it seems like it's pretty shady down there. Is this like a rinky-dink amusement park? I mean, are I going to be falling out of a Ferris wheel? Or I mean, um, what's going on? It's def- it definitely doesn't have the safety standards that you would find at Disney World. Shoot, um, but it is. I, I, it's, it's not bad. I, it's, it's, it. I, I, I wouldn't hesitate to take my kids there. Um, okay. It's, you know, it's. I, I'm, you know, people always ask, you know, whether uh, how safe it is to go there and. Uh, and I never, I, I go with my Colombian colleagues who, uh, you know, you know, they are very good at sort of sussing out the situation and decide, you know, figuring out what's safe and what's not. Sure. Uh, and so I always, I always trust their judgment cause I figure they don't want to get killed either. Uh, and so, um, and so I've never, ever had a problem. I've, you know, people have been wonderful the whole time I've been there. I've really enjoyed my time that I've spent there. Uh, and so it is, uh, uh, but it is, you know, it is it is a bit remote, and it's, uh, you know, it still is apparently a bit of a hotbed for uh, for uh, illegal activities. Although I've never seen any sign of them, but okay. that's what they tell me. And when is the best time to visit? If I were to book a flight today, well, <laughs> I'm just kidding. So the, yeah, <laughs> the weather you... the weather changes very little throughout the year. Probably in about March or April, it's really rainy, and about right. October, November. Uh, so. Uh, I mean, it's always hot and rainy. It is never other than those two things. Okay. Good note. Yeah. Cause good note. Okay. I'm going to try to convince my wife. We wanted to go to Florida oh, yeah. to do universal studios, but it's like, honey, we could do a theme yeah. park and we could see hippos and it could be in Columbia. <laughs> it, yeah, there's, yeah. And there's a bunch of, yeah, no, I, I, I highly recommend it. Columbia is currently, there's no international flights because of the pandemic until sure. September. Uh, so nobody's coming or going, but, uh, but Columbia is amazing, and it's—I uh, mean, it's—you uh, know—it hasn't had nearly the tourism as say like Peru or something like that. But it has—you know—things that are every bit as exciting, I would say. So I think I think it's it's well worth traveling. Absolutely. And, and if you go to the Amazon, you can see the the river dolphins. Oh they my have the, god! The pink ones and the gray ones. Oh my goodness, that would be yeah. amazing! I've had them on my podcast. The American—I mm-hmm. just said the American River Dolphin. The Amazon River yeah. Dolphin Foundation yeah. have has been on the podcast. Oh my gosh! Yeah, this is so cool. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Oh, is sure. there, Thanks for having me. Is there any uh, any last pieces of advice for anyone, or what if someone has more questions? Can they get a hold of you, or is there any oh, work sure. they could read or anything like yeah, that? Yeah, uh, yeah. The, there's uh, we have a paper about it, and there was another paper published recently that just kind of uh tells the whole story of of you know what's what's happened over time uh sure. by amanda subaluski that's there, there's another paper out uh uh so there's there's a couple of papers you can read um uh yeah any, anyone can uh find my email and write me anytime that's uh i'm, I'm always happy to hear from from hippo enthusiasts oh my gosh this hippo enthusiast i'm going to start doing that with my <laughs> LinkedIn bio for my instagram uh-huh. Perfect. All right. Awesome. Uh, thank you so much, man, for Thanks, taking Carmen. the time. I will be in touch and I'm going to include, if you could send me the links, I could put them in the show notes so people could check okay. them out. And if you don't mind, I can put your email. If anyone has any Absolutely. questions, uh, any hippo sure. fanatics, hippo enthusiasts. Okay. <laughs> there, 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 there's a crazy bunch. There, there are a crazy, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right. We'll talk to you later. All right. Good talking to you. Bye. See Thanks you. a lot. Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends and family. Also, if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. It really helps me out. As always, if you have any guest suggestions, if you want to email me personally, head on over to CorbinMaxi.com. And if you haven't already, check out our social channels. You can follow me at CorbinMaxi on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll talk to you next time.